Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied unto us. This morning, hour of grace, and may it continue ever henceforth. As long as we <clears throat> journey here on this pathway of faith, we have heard some important instructions this morning from the Word of God concerning marriage and it is good that we do take heed of it <clears throat> I thought of a couple of other places in God's Word but as the <clears throat> brother spoke another portion of scripture came to mind and this happens to be one of the text for last Sunday, but is also on the same subject matter. And <clears throat> I do not believe that it would be harmful for us to spend this Sunday morning on this all-important subject matter of marriage and all that pertains to it. For it is a matter that part of God's word that speaks of our relationship as husbands and wives pertains to every one of us who are married. Sometimes God's word is directed to certain hearts and, and others are not affected by it and it doesn't pertain to them so much. But there are some parts of scripture that pertain to all of us and when we read the word of God concerning our marriage relationship then it pertains to all of us who are married and all of us who eventually will be and certainly it is if it is important for us to be reminded of our relationship to one another once we have entered into that holy estate of holy matrimony how much more so is it important for us to know beforehand and to be so equipped with the word of God and with the instruction of the scriptures 
before we even enter into it. It is such an important matter and was so important in the heart and mind of Luther that he said that as early as six or seven years old, he should already be praying for a Christian mate. And he thanked God for his beloved Katie that God had given unto him. who had served him faithfully even until his dying day. And he thanked God for a happy and a blessed marriage. So it is also that we have much to be thankful to God. And and in the light of these things, then we will read from the second chapter of John. the first 11 verses and they are in Jesus name as follows and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage and when they wanted wine the mother of Jesus saith unto him they have no wine Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Her mother saith, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, But the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine and when men have well drunk then that which is worse but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Amen. This is a part of God's word that is often read in weddings. I have myself on occasion read this scripture. And it is more or less briefly gone through. And we do not spend the time with this part of scripture as as certainly we could and particularly at such an important occasion as a wedding <clears throat> first I must say that we have weddings and we have marriages and we heard about marriage marriage is a long-lasting, it is a lifelong matter. A wedding 
is a one-time occasion. And the wedding is just the beginning of a marriage. And you can't have a marriage according to scripture without a wedding. Where a couple makes vows one to the other. And then consecrate their lives to each other and begin to live together as husband and wife, being joined together by God's word. But too often, the focus of attention is placed upon the wedding and not so much upon the marriage. We are often careful that everything is well planned and arranged and everything is just so when the wedding arrives for that one-time occasion. And I'm not saying that this is entirely wrong, but consider how <clears throat> much more serious a matter it is that we are concerned about the marriage that we are to enter in, which is a lifetime matter. Ought we not to be also all the more careful that every detail is attended to and that all aspects that pertain to it would be looked into and, and considered? But it, too often it is that way that, that we have a wedding or <clears throat> a wedding takes place and it is a lavish affair and then we hear sometime later that something is happening in that marriage and they are drifting apart and soon they are separated and we hear the not so happy news that a couple is divorcing. And that is often the case in this world, and as we heard already, that that is what the statistics say most of the time happens. More and more so today. That marriages that are entered into don't last very long. And most of those marriages that end in divorce are second and third marriages and so forth most of them <clears throat> but it is because people do not consider God's word they have not taken seriously the vows they have made and considered that part of scripture as we heard which pertains to each one as husband and wife and what we are to do what is our obligations. A wedding is generally an, a happy occasion and, and the focus is upon happiness and so that everyone is happy and joyous and such it is often. But the marriage that follows often is filled with mixed with sorrows and, and tears and sadness as well as joy and happiness and gladness. 
And the longer that we are in a in a marriage, the more we are apt to experience all that pertains to it and all that that the scripture speaks of. There are times of joy and there are times of sorrow. There are times when we are thankful and there are times when <clears throat> we are perhaps even regretful that we have entered into it all because of our sinful and corrupt flesh. We read here concerning a marriage that took place one time in the time of Christ in Cana of Galilee. It happened to be a time when Jesus performed the first miracle of many that he performed. There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Here we we come to understand that this was a marriage that was between children of God. A Christian marriage, in other words, where not only was Jesus and his disciples invited, but they were there. They were also there, a part of that wedding or marriage. And how blessed it is that this is considered one of the most important matters. Of all the plans that are made in a, in a wedding and for a wedding, this should be at the top of the list that Jesus and his disciples are there. That it would be a place where God's children could come. And above all, it would be a place where Jesus could also be. That he would be not only invited, but that he also would be there to provide his blessings as it was at this occasion. But so often it is that <clears throat> neither is Jesus invited to a wedding and neither would he be accepted because it is not a type of wedding that is according to God's word. There are weddings between Christians and unbelievers which are first of all outside of scripture and it is not a wedding that is pleasing unto God because it is contrary to his word. And it is not one where Jesus would be happy to be. Because it is against his word that speaks directly of such matters that what has light to do with darkness and what has a believer to do with an unbeliever. And two cannot walk together except that they be agreed. So it is good for you who are contemplating marriage and who have a desire within your hearts that someday you will have a, a spouse or a partner in marriage, that you would consider this first and foremost above all things
that you would find a Christian mate, a Christian companion. There are so many situations where Christians have married unbelievers and it has created so much problems. It is, first of all, in my estimation, it is a two-against-one situation. So it is very lopsided. There is the flesh and the corruption of each one that is of the same mind, drawing toward the world, toward sin, and toward all that is contrary to God's word. But there is only in one a knowledge of the truth, a knowledge of God's word. And if it is that at the time one is married, there is still confessing faith, it does not seem long afterward where the, the drawing is toward the world and toward unbelief. And the faith of the Christian is compromised. And because the, the other cannot be forced to be a child of God, you cannot force to, to, to do the things of, of God. And so it creates a situation that is not blessed of God. It is up to your own doing and and you are taking your life into your own hands and so also is your happiness and your welfare and your well-being in life it is all up to you for God does not bless it it is not the blessing of God <clears throat> otherwise God would be contradicting himself in his word so this should be the first and the foremost consideration that we see here also in the light of, of this scripture that the mother of Jesus was there and Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. At the very beginning, how important it is that Christ is in the marriage. We know that through experience we have come to know that there are, there are times when we have experienced struggles and problems and and difficulties in a marriage especially in the early years and and when do you need most to have that faith and trust in God so that you can together pray about matters and ask God's direction and guidance and help and strength to overcome the problems and and to be delivered from many trying and difficult situations that together you can pray unto God not only to face the problems that we encounter in our marriage but also because we live in a world that is full of sin and iniquity and all manner of evil and it is all against us not only as God's children, but even against us because we are God's children and because we are striving in a Christian marriage. <clears throat> there is also the counsel of the ungodly. 
They look askance at you if you have several children, especially if you are a young couple and you've been married only a few years and it seems like you have children coming every year in your marriage and the world looks with disdain and disgust upon you. You are a burden to society. You're a burden to the schools because they they have added burdens and to their capacities and so forth. In every way society looks askance at, at marriages and families that are large. And these kind of things we take for granted even in our congregation because we have so many large families and we associate with each other so much that we we don't often even think about these things until we are sometimes in the outside world and we we encounter people who are not of our faith and nor of the world and even those who are religious people as well as those who are not and when they realize that we have so many children I myself have 12 they are sometimes shocked and and surprised and often they hide their true feelings no doubt when a, when a young couple has many children they they look upon them as having ignorance of modern means of birth control and regulating these things don't you know that you can take these things into your own hands you don't have to leave them in God's hands God has given the wisdom so that we can even regulate those things not only if and when children are born how many are born but even after they are conceived, how to get rid of them and destroy them. Such is the, is the evil in the world and the decay, the inner decay of this society we are living in and, and the breakdown of values and morals that are in the world. And these kind of things we are, we are exposed to as God's children. When we think of the murder of little innocent children, we are often horrified that human beings could be so cruel. But so it is when sin and evil enters in into a marriage. We can certainly say it is not blessed of God, but it is cursed. It is a cursed union where these kind of things also take place. But we have the instruction and teaching of God's word that children are an heritage of the Lord and blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. It doesn't mean that you have to have 12 children. But it means that you have those whom God has wanted to give you. God has intended for you for there are certainly families that I have fewer children and that's all and they have no more and they certainly would desire more but that's as many as God has given and they are thankful for that 
How blessed it is that we can be even at peace with ourselves and before God in these matters that we haven't taken on the counsel of the ungodly in these things. But we are getting ahead of ourselves in the in this text, in the Word of God, but it all pertains to it. It says here, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus says unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. This is perhaps one of the difficult places of Scripture, difficult to understand what is all this about. Is it allowable or is it such that they had wine in weddings in those days and how come we can't have wine today? The wine that they had in those days was not any different than grape juice. It was not intoxicating. The Jews did not partake of intoxicating drink. That is condemned of God and there are certainly places of scripture that speak of the evils of wine and that is referring to intoxicating wine. But generally the Jews partook only of that which was the pure fruit of the vine. It was not intoxicating. It had no alcohol content. In order to, to do so, it must be manufactured that way. But in its natural state, it is pure and drinkable and not contrary to God's word. There are many places in scripture that speaks of wine. And when it is spoken of favorably, it is always that which is not intoxicating, not alcoholic in content. And here, when they wanted wine, that is, they were lacking in it. It was a common drink among them, just as we would commonly, if grape juice was our most popular drink, then it would be much the same situation as it was then. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. It seems like many, many times Jesus' actions and words are difficult to understand. Like we heard recently concerning the woman that came and begged him and said, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil and, and he, as it were, didn't seem to hear her. And then when he finally did and he spoke to her, he said it is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. But all of this was a test of her faith. And because she was persistent in her faith, then he said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou believest. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Here now the very mother of Jesus came to him for where else could she turn but to him whom she believed was able to help in this situation and she says they have no wine not knowing what Jesus would do but certainly knowing that he would do something for he was able he had all power and all authority 
But his answer certainly was not to be expected. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. But he didn't say that I, I will have nothing to do with you. He didn't say that I'm not going to do anything or I'm not going to help. But he said, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. But his mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Just as if Jesus had said, what do you want me to do? Isn't it amazing how faith is? Faith and trust in God. It refuses to believe anything but good from God. That's what faith is. It refuses to believe anything but what God will do good unto us. And that's the kind of faith Mary, his mother, also had here. As if Jesus would say, What will I do unto you? What will you have me do unto you? Rather than, What have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Faith seems to hear only the good things of God and is not turned away by anything that it hears but clings fast to that which it believes and hopes and trusts in God. And God is good. And <clears throat> it says further, there were there now six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. The Jews customarily had these water pots at any, any festive occasion because one of their rituals was to wash their hands before they ate every meal to outwardly show their purity and their desire to be pure and not to eat anything contaminated or with dirty hands. They washed their hands and this was a ritual for them. Even if they had clean hands, but as a form of ritual they washed their hands before they ate the meal and this does not say that it's not wrong to eat with clean hands or wash your hands before you eat that's not what this scripture is trying to teach us but it is teaching us here an important spiritual matter these six water pots were used for the purifying of the Jews, for the washing of their hands, and they contain two or three firkins apiece. That's several gallons. A firkin is several gallons, and they had two or three firkins apiece. So there could have been from anywhere from 30 to, to 50 gallons that these were able to contain. And Jesus <clears throat> commanded them he said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they did, according to his command, they filled them up to the brim. And then he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And as they did so, it was wine. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, at what point did it become wine does not say but the important matter was that those water pots were filled with water and now Jesus says draw out now 
that which was not customarily used for drinking but for washing of hands. That which the Jews used as for the washing of their hands, not for drinking, now Jesus commanded to be filled and to bear out, and it was wine. That water was changed to wine by his miraculous power, and it was so pure and good wine that the ruler of the feast, when he tasted of the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but he knew instantly upon tasting it that it was pure and it was good. It was not diluted with water to stretch it, to make it last, but it was pure. And the servants which drew the water, they knew because they had been told what to do. And they knew in bearing that water that had now become wine, they knew that it was according to what Jesus had done. And therefore the ruler, the governor of the feast, called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which was worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. What does this teach us? We heard already through Brother Gary, how important is God's word and, and that we adhere to it, that we abide by it as it pertains to us. And there are certainly places of scripture that speak directly to husbands as well as to wives. And when we are obedient in that and render our obedience to God's word for the sake of obedience and because it is God's word, and because it is given of God and for us, then God blesses that. That's what's indicated by these six water pots that the Jews used for outward purifying of their hands and washing of their hands. Water often signifies God's word itself. And that which many use just as an outward purification they are just concerned about washing their hands or outwardly as a ritual. God has intended that it would be taken internally. He has intended that his word would enter into our very hearts and that it would be taken internally and abide within our hearts, not just as an outward signpost for us as we travel through this life, but that too as well as food for our very soul and help and sustenance and strength just as water can be used to wash your hands but it can also be used to, to satisfy your thirst. And when you are thirsty and dying of thirst, which is more important to you when you find water, that your hands are washed in it or that you will drink of it, and satisfy the thirst, what do you consider more important? Certainly it is that our thirst would be satisfied, and God's word is given for that purpose. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that hungering and thirsting after righteousness includes 
being familiar with his word, partaking of the word of God, and desiring to do that which is, is instructed unto us in God's word. Even in marriage, and yea, particularly in marriage, when we are journeying together as husbands and wives, how important it is. For not only are we concerned about our relationship one to the other, but we heard also that there are children often involved and how blessed it is that the children also grow up in such an environment in a Christian home, an established Christian home. It gives some stability to a child that they cannot obtain elsewhere. There's no amount of psychology, no amount of therapy that will supplant that which is found in a Christian home. When a child is reared from the very earliest ages around that stable foundation of a Christian home, a mother and a father, a home life that is intended by God and is according to his word. You know yourself how blessed you have been to have been reared in a Christian home. But those, those who have come from broken homes, they cannot say so. And they know that their own, their own lives are, are marred forever because of it. It is a traumatic experience for even children, especially little children, to be separated because they cannot be divorced from their parents as parents are divorced one from the other. And so those children are torn between one or the other. They are, their lives become divided of spending one time with one and then the, the other time with the other spouse, which are their parents. And so <clears throat> these things happen and they are sad experiences and they need not be and certainly it is much sadder when it happens in Christianity which becomes more and more so today when Christians must experience those kind of things. They forget the marriage vows that they have made to be faithful one to the other till death us do part, in sickness and in health, in prosperity and adversity alike. How blessed it is to see marriage is even of elderly couples that are, one is sickly and the other is faithfully serving. My wife and I had occasion to visit such a couple in Canada when we were up there in Sylvan Lake a year ago. An elderly couple there, she was sickly in a wheelchair and he faithfully and lovingly served her and cared for her. And even expressed how they had had 60 years of a happy and a blessed marriage. And you could see the love that was between them when we asked to take a picture of them for remembrance and she was sitting a little ways off, she, he reached forth his hand and she reached hers and they held hands for the, for the picture. It just was spontaneous with them. 
And I took notice of that and marveled at the love that is between them. And it wasn't long afterward when we heard that she had passed away. And so he was left, left alone. But how blessed it was. They were confessing faith. They hadn't, lo hadn't been long in this Christianity, but they had embraced the living faith and were thankful to God for it. And how blessed it is when it is that way. Then those vows there are meaningful in sickness and in health. And even in that, it defies the reasoning that there could be happiness and joy when one is sickly and the other is well and, and they must cope with their, their illnesses. But God puts happiness where human reasoning does not believe that it should be. Happiness because they are endeavoring and striving to do that which is right and pleasing before God. And what is better in this life than that we have happiness and joy throughout our married life. And when that time comes that one is taken away and the other left, then you can see the sorrow and the sadness that the inevitable has happened. There is till death us do part and love that has been there continues to exist and <clears throat> the memories are long afterward. And all of this is blessed indeed of God and it is, it is, it is blessed that we are able to experience those things as his children but only when we endeavor to do that which is pleasing. Those water pots, they were filled first to the brim. This indicates that God's word is adhered to. That's the first thing. And it's a, it's a somewhat of a labor and a toil to fill those water pots with water, which means that every day of our life, we, we must toil and labor and do that. When it says, Wives be in subjection to your own husbands. And husbands love your wives. It's not just words. It's deeds. It's deeds. Daily deeds. And our conduct. And oftentimes it requires sacrifice on our part to love the other. It requires sacrifice and to doing things that... that we would not otherwise perhaps do, but because we are bound by our marriage vows, we do them, and we do them, do them out of love and faithfulness. This is that filling of the water pots with water, with the word of God, and then by the miracle and the blessing of Jesus, has blessed your marriage but it has not been without toil it has not been without labor on your part it has not been without giving without sacrifice without doing many things that God's word requires 
but it has brought forth the blessing and the, it is the blessing of God and with that comes also the eternal blessing that we are God's children for marriage is a picture of our relationship as we heard with our Savior and Redeemer Jesus Christ he is faithful we are apt to be unfaithful and that's why our relationship is here but an engagement as long as we are here on this earth that's where divorce applies during this engagement period it does not apply upon the marriage because the marriage is in heaven and after that there is no separation the wedding is in heaven the wedding of the lamb where we are eternally joined together with him but we can now be found unfaithful here in our relationship because we are betrothed unto him we look forward to that wedding that will one day take place in heaven where we are eternally united with the with the bridegroom our savior and redeemer jesus christ but now if we are found to be unfaithful here during our engagement period then we can be given a writing of divorcement we can be separated and never enter into that wedding that can happen and that is the danger that always exists and that's why we have the word of god that speaks about these things and that's where divorce applies as it is spoken of in god's word there's only one place which seems to be the only place that is remembered when it comes to divorce is the 19th chapter of Matthew whosoever putteth away his wife for every cause for except it be for fornication and marrieth another committeth adultery in the case of fornication if a man found that his wife had committed fornication generally the jews they stone them to death they use that alternative and in because one had committed fornication and was stoned to death then he was free to marry another because his wife was now dead and therefore he was free to marry another but today it is <coughs> it is looked upon differently and it was already even in the time of Christ a man could give his wife a bill of divorcement if she didn't cook his food to his liking that's why the Jews were prompted to ask him can a man put away his wife for every cause because it seemed like there was no cause that was omitted any and every cause was taken into consideration to the extent that even if he disliked her, her cooking he could give her a writing a divorcement but Jesus said that it was not so from the very beginning for in the beginning God created the male and female and said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh what therefore God has joined together let no man put asunder when they persisted and asked why did Moses then suffer them to for a man to divorce his wife 
He says, because Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered it to be so. But from the beginning is what not was not so. And from the beginning, God created a male and female. But how things change, that divorce pertained to engagement periods, and that's how it was. The engagement in the Hebrew customs in those days, in the Old Testament, was more of an affair than the marriage itself, oftentimes. It was a time in which a bride was taken officially into the family of the bridegroom, and they were considered husband and wife, but they were just engaged. The marriage sometimes didn't take place even for a year later, during which time they were to be faithful, especially the burden of proof was upon the bridegroom or bride to be found faithful. That's the way God's word is, because it's the burden of proof is upon us. We heard that Jesus will never give us a divorcement. He will never separate us. He will never be unfaithful. He is always faithful. And therefore, it was upon the bride during that engagement period. And that was the situation with Mary and Joseph, by the way, when Mary became heavy with child. She was found to be with child. She was betrothed unto Joseph and for that reason he in his mind could not think of anything else but that she had been unfaithful, committed fornication and therefore he had this option of either having her stoned to death or giving her a writing of divorcement and he thought to put away her privately to spare her life. It was then the angel intervened and said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. She was his wife because they had already made vows to each other to be faithful even though they were not yet married. And after they were married, they did have more children. But she was a virgin when Jesus was born. She was a virgin before he was born. She was a virgin when he was born. And afterward, they did have children. James was one of them who was the brother of Jesus and others. But so it is that we have God's word here that teaches us how blessed it is to be obedient to his word. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. How blessed then is God's word that it it in it instills faith also. Obedience instills faith and faith also creates obedience. When we are obedient to his word and we do that which he grants or he teaches us, then it instills further faith and trust in him. It is with faith that we are first obedient, as was Abraham. And when we find that God is faithful in all he has promised, then it furthers our faith and our trust in him. It may be so with us also, that we, together with his disciples, would believe on him. And that believing we might have life, 
through his name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We are in receipt of a letter from uh, Michigan to all Apostolic Lutheran Churches of America. Dear members in Christ, God's peace and regards from our Savior, Apostolic Lutheran Church, previously the Apostolic Lutheran Church of Southfield, Michigan. The church is seeking a full-time pastor to serve its congregation as Pastor Marty Unerma follows the Lord's call to another service in May 2000, the congregation requests your prayers for him as he continues to serve the Lord. We would also ask your prayers, thoughts, and assistance as we seek to fill this position. We invite all who feel directed by God into the service of pastorship who wish to be considered for this position. The, congrega the congregation gratefully appreciates your faithful consideration and prayers in this important task. Please address all correspondence and or inquiries to Mr. Jim Michelson, 635 Wing Lake Road, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. In God's service, Jim Michelson, Our Savior, Apostolic Lutheran Church. I'll post this on a bulletin board in the back. We'll gather this evening at 7 o'clock for a service here at the church. Tuesday evening, there'll be a Sunday school teachers meeting at Jim and Judy Traffy's. All teachers are encouraged to attend. Also, anybody interested or having issues regarding the Sunday school. Thursday evening, there'll be a service here at the church at 7.30 and then next Sunday, Sunday school at 9.30, a church service following at 10.30, and an evening service at 7. Leonard Samro is uh, arranging a uh, trip to Finland. All interested people, please see Leonard. In closing, today we'll sing song 567. And today's offering is for the benefit of Jason and Sandra Ketty, who was formerly uh, Ruth and Mel Somro's daughter.
I'll remind you that next Sunday's collection is for...